0: It's here, three weeks away. How many of you have gotten all your Christmas shopping done? Awesome. Good for you. How many of you have gotten some done and haven't gotten it all done? How many of you got, okay. And how many of y'all forgot Christmas was even coming and you haven't gotten in here. All right, where my people at, all right? These are people of faith. They are trusting the Lord, living right on the edge, living that adventure. Love that. This year has just absolutely flown by. I don't know if it feels that way for you. It's a little bit like, you know how on a lot of viewing platforms now, like when you're getting ready to watch a movie, you can fast forward, but it shows you the frames as it's fast forwarding. It feels like that. It feels like since from Easter till now, it's just like flown through. And uh, But I know this, I know that we've got to finish this year strong. And I believe the Lord wants us to finish it strong. And specifically, I want you to finish this year spiritually strong and let that carry momentum into next year, but I think instead of waiting till the new year, let's think about what we need to do now. Let's make some adjustments now and let the Holy Spirit work through that. I do believe that this next year is going to be strong. I believe 2023 can be powerful, but the way that it's going to be strong is if you finish spiritually strong. Spiritual strength is the only real strength. There's not really anything else that we can do that is gonna guarantee that we're gonna have a great year next year other than getting closer to God, drawing near to Him and making our relationship with Him our number one priority. And I believe that there probably are some changes that some of us need to make. Some of us, it's like we've been stuck in third gear for way too long. And either we're coasting or we're running at way too high at RPM. And I know that God's got some new gears that He wants to reveal to some of you coming into this year. Some of us need some perspective change. We just, we just got into the wrong thinking, the wrong mindset. My, my, oh, hello, sometimes the words that might mix. Uh, we just gotten in the wrong mindset and we need the Lord. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. Some of us, we need to change our expectations. What are you believing God for? You're gonna continue to be really disappointed as long as you're the one formulating the expectations. But if you will allow yourself to be submitted to how the spirit leads and let his expectation be your expectation, then you'll actually find some fulfillment. Maybe it's just focus. Maybe you've got a good relationship with the Lord. You've just need to get lasered in a little bit. Let's get our heart right, closing out this year. And let's lift up our eyes towards this next year, but towards his kingdom. And seeing this next year, I want us to have a spirit of faith on us. But I also know that we have to deal with some things sometimes for that to be the case. And it's a little bit like that movie, A Christmas Carol. How many of y'all seen that movie, A Christmas Carol? There's like 18 versions of it now, right? But the, the movie, A Christmas Carol, in order for us to be able to move forward, some of us have to deal with the ghost of Christmas past, present, And future, Uh, I would say some of us need to deal with the spirit that is attached to our past, some of the demons we're dealing with in our present, and not allow him to continue to dictate our future. We got to deal with that. So today I want to talk about our future. Looking forward to 2023, don't fear the future. Don't fear the future. I don't have to be a prophet to tell you that there's going to be some loud voices peddling fear coming in to 2023. Uh, I would call them false prophets. And I would encourage you to stay out of those rabbit holes because the only thing at the bottom of those holes is more fear. That's what it is. As a matter of fact, you can tell, without a doubt, news stations, they peddle in fear on purpose constantly. And then they go to a commercial on medication and hair loss products. So they get you all stressed up, worked up in fear, and then try to sell you on all the medications that's supposed to help you, and you're certainly going to be stressed and losing all your hair, so you're going to need some of that as well. Social media platforms will meet with psychologists to figure out how they can formulate fear-based advertising in order to keep people connected and addicted to the things that are supposed to help them with those things. They're going to say all kinds of stuff. The interest rates are going through the roof. They're never gonna come down again. The country is falling through the cracks. Crypto is falling apart. I saw another blood moon. Oh, China is spraying chemicals all over the place. Players are leaving and going to the transfer portal. Oh no, there are food shortages in Europe. And because of that little Debbie Christmas tree cakes are gonna be on shortage here in Arkansas. Oh my gosh, fear. And some of you guys just freaked out a little bit. That's not true. I didn't read that anywhere. (laughs) So I'm like, we're leaving now. We got to go to Walmart's. (laughs) Psalm 34 4 says this I sought the Lord and He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Why? Because I sought him. I sought the Lord. I made him my priority and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. So there's these are like the top fears in the world, all right? Agoraphobia. If you haven't heard about this, basically it's the it's the fear of going outside. It's the fear of big spaces, but going outside. And this fear is so prevalent in our culture, it has completely transformed retail shopping. Because now, to address this, you don't even have to go outside. You just slide your finger over a little screen and these beautiful people show up at your house and deliver package upon package upon package upon package. It just keeps coming. Help me Cody. <laughs> i'm choking. it's not cody it's my mom actually <laughs> she's so, so just some public accountability so another big fear hydrophobia it's a fear of water Fear of water uh, some people have this and that's the reason like they never go on a boat they would never like just the idea of being out on an open ocean just they break out and immediate sweat. But here in the South, it's the fear of having to drink water instead of sweet tea. Like, that's the real fear down here. It's like, oh my gosh, that sounds horrible. And then claustrophobia. How many of y'all can't stand small spaces, being stuck in small spaces, a little claustrophobia? Okay, but this doesn't just go with small spaces. It also goes to like being stuck in traffic, being stuck in relationships, like Feeling claustrophobia. I talked to one guy a while back when the tornadoes were coming through. I said, how's everything going? They're like, oh, it's fine. We have a tornado shelter. So my whole family got in there. I'm like, you didn't get in there with them?" He's like, no, I don't want to get in there. I'd rather die than to get into that small space. I was like, but how do you feel about your family? Like, you guys good? You love each other? Things okay? But it can be a major deal, a real fear. And here's the thing. Some fears that people have, they're legitimate. But most Completely illegitimate. There's no reason to even have fear. Well, the Lord tells us not to fear, period. A big one that people deal with, especially parents, this is the number one fear. How will my kids turn out? And what I've seen is I've seen that create a major stronghold, especially in our community, where that fear specifically has people driving at so many different things trying to do everything they can to make sure that they control that their kid will be successful. Let me just throw this out there. It's fine. You know what's gonna help your kid be successful? Having a foundation in the word of God and having biblical community. If you make that your number one priority, I promise everything else will be added unto them because that's the promise of the word of God. Seek first his kingdom. He'll take care of the rest, but it's a major fear. They don't want their kids to be dysfunctional. They want their kid to be a leader, just not a leader of a gang in a prison, like they want him to be successful. So when it comes to fear or to the future, I think there's a couple primary ones. With the future, fear of being left alone. Fear of being left alone. Like as you age, this fear grows more and more. Am I gonna be abandoned, deserted? Am I gonna have friends? Listen, you weren't created to do life alone. I don't care if you're the most introverted person in this room. It doesn't mean that you're supposed to be alone. God has created you to be connected to people, more specifically the body of Christ. And every single person in here needs biblical community. What do I mean by that? You've heard me talk about it and I'm gonna keep talking about it because some of y'all are hard of hearing and you're hard headed. So I'm gonna keep talking about it. But what do I mean? I mean this, biblical community, it's not just people you get along with, that's important. But biblical community is a lot more than having the common like like the Razorbacks or something like that. Biblical community means you have friends around you that ask you the tough questions. That when you're acting like a bonehead, they tell you you're acting like a bonehead but it's not according to your opinion, it's according to the standard of the word of God. And you have people around you that love you enough that they're gonna hold you accountable according to who God has called you to be, not what you think you're supposed to be doing. Biblical community means that they're gonna be there when you're crying, they're gonna laugh when you're laughing, but they're gonna hold the line and they're gonna walk with you. Biblical community means that every time you hang out around those people, you grow and they grow. You recognize you need them, and there's something inside of you that God has placed there that they need as well. You've gotta have biblical community. And if you're here in this church and you haven't found biblical community, let us know about it. The problem is some of you, you said you haven't found biblical community, but we've made every possible option available to you, but you still don't do it. At one point or another, you're going to have to make that choice. But every one of us are called to be a part of biblical community. Another fear is not having what I need. Like, will my needs be met? Am I going to come short in life on my dreams and desires and aspirations? Am I going to have what I need to survive, like retirement? What's going to happen with my 401k? Don't look at it right now. It's not going to help you. But I want you to leave here optimistic. Like, with a spirit of faith and expectancy of what God can do. Like, no matter how things look or how things feel, God is still sovereign over all of it. And I'm gonna keep holding on to faith and being optimistic. I didn't say this first service, but I, as I'm talking about this, all I can think about is this couple that we buried their six year old son this weekend. Six-year-old little boy that died from cancer. And I think about Kayla and I think about Bo and I think about how throughout the entire process of them fighting cancer for more than half of his life, but the last couple of months as they have stood in faith and hope and trusted no matter what. And then even coming up to the last moment, I was there on the day that he died and watching their little boy suffer. And it was the definition of what the word talks about that we can grieve and mourn but we don't grieve and mourn like those without hope because they, to this day, right now, are full of faith. They know that their son is completely healed and restored. They know that their hope is in heaven and in Christ alone. And so they're gonna grieve and they're gonna cry, but you know what, they are optimistic. They have all the hope in the world and they've just decided God's gonna use this and we're gonna make sure that he uses it for his glory. That's optimism. It's not pretending like things aren't wrong. It's understanding that even when things are wrong, God is still God and he loves you and you can trust him. I want you to have that kind of grit in your life. There was a group of people that were in a nursing home in Florida and they were having this conversation. One of them says, you know, my arms are so weak, I can barely hold up this cup of coffee. Another one says, yeah, I know, right? Like, my cataracts are so bad, I can barely even see this cup of coffee. Another one said, my taste buds are so bad, I can't even taste this coffee. Another one said, my blood pressure pills make me pass out when I drink coffee. And they're all like, well, I guess it's just the price of getting older. But then one of the ladies piped in and said, guys, let's look at the bright side. At least we're still able to drive. (laughs) So I want you to be optimistic, but wise. That is true and scary, honestly. I wanna read this scripture over you. In fact, I want you just to put yourself in a position to receive this. Just put your hands out in front of you. What does this mean? Some of you weren't raised in a church. Maybe you do. This is, this is a symbol. It's a sign of both surrender and I need to receive. And I wanna receive. And I wanna just pray this scripture over you. Psalm 112, six. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear at bad news. Not bad news won't come, but they're not gonna be driven to fear. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. And in the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. Lord, I pray that that would be solidified. Would you pour out your spirit in such a way that our faith would swell? In Jesus' name, amen. Also, don't be frustrated about the future. Don't be frustrated about the future. Ecclesiastes two eighteen, I hated all things I toiled under the sun because I leave them to the to one who comes after me, and who knows whether or not that person is going to be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of the toil of which I poured my effort and skill under the sun. To this, this too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair. Solomon's having a bad day. He's really frustrated looking ahead. Specifically, he's looking ahead because he realized, I'm gonna turn everything that I've worked on over to this person. And that's the root of his frustration. Solomon's frustrated because he didn't know how to dream around legacy. Like having a legacy. So I think a good question is, if you're frustrated about the future, what's the root of it? Is it your job? Like it just hasn't worked out the way you want it to work out. You're not enjoying it as much as you thought that you would. Is it your marriage? There's so much tension that you've lost vision for your home. You started to be convinced that you'd be happy somewhere else or with someone else. And I want to speak to that right now. I don't know if there is the one that you're supposed to be with. I do know this, the day you get married, that person becomes the one. They become the one. And what you have to have is a conviction in your heart that if nothing else, you honor and respect the covenant of marriage because outside of salvation, it is the most important and weighty covenant that you will ever make in your life that you desire to honor the Lord so much that that drives you to do everything you possibly can to be obedient to him first and foremost as a son or daughter of the King of Kings. And how do you do that? You wake up every day and you do everything you can to fall more in love with Jesus. Because regardless of what they're doing, what you're accountable to and what you're responsible for is to fall more in love with Jesus. But here's the thing. If you will fall more in love with Jesus, if you will let his word be your standard, if you will ask his spirit to fill you, then you will have all the joy and all the peace and all the hope that you will ever need. But the other thing will be this. You might just be used by the Holy Spirit to influence your spouse to come alongside you. But you are accountable to God. Now I know that there's situations and circumstances where that marriage needs to end and the word is clear about what those things are but most of the time I hear about it, those standards are not being broken. It's just a matter of somebody not being happy anymore and feeling like they deserve to be happy. You know how you're gonna find happiness? Be obedient and fear the Lord. He will bring you the joy that you need, I promise that. And the grass is not greener on the other side. I can speak to that heartache because I've seen it over and over and over again. The grass is greener where you take care of the grass. So take care of your grass and start looking at stop looking at other people's yards. Amen. That one's for free. <laughs> Maybe you're in a season of waiting. You're waiting and it's frustrating. Like you're waiting on an open door, you're waiting on a new job. Maybe you're in a spot where you're waiting for a spouse. Maybe you're waiting to get pregnant. Isn't it true that when you're in those seasons of waiting, it's like right around there where you bump into someone else that didn't have to wait at all. Like sometimes I feel like that's a setup from the devil. Like let's say if you are waiting on a spouse, you're waiting for the Lord to bring that person and then you run into someone who's like, I met my spouse the first time I came to church. I met him in the parking lot. We got married three months later. You just want to slap that person. Or maybe you've been waiting to get pregnant. And so then you bump into that girl that's been pregnant for a decade straight. Like the only test that she hasn't failed is a pregnancy test. Some of us are laughing, but honestly, some of us, it's very discouraging. It's hard. And when you're in those seasons of waiting, you have to know this, that's why comparing is the ultimate thief of joy. You are on your journey. You need to trust God for your own process. Don't worry about everyone else's process. God is sovereign, He's leading you. He'll take care of you. Proverbs nineteen twenty one. many are the plans in a person's heart, but the Lord's purpose, it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Also don't be fatalistic about the future. What do I mean by fatalistic? That's this apathetic attitude where you start feeling like, what's the point? With all my best intentions, my best efforts, it doesn't seem to matter or make a difference. Well, Solomon is here, and that's why he keeps using the phrase meaningless, meaningless. What's interesting is that Solomon didn't learn from his dad because his dad, King David, when he got into an apathetic, complacent place in his life, he committed adultery and then committed murder to cover that up. And a whole lot of hurt and bad things happen as a result of that. The book of James teaches us that even your prayers make a difference. And some of us have drifted away from believing in the power of prayer. It says that the fervent, effective prayer of a righteous person avails a lot. Maybe you need to bring some of that apathy back before the Lord and remember that your prayers matter and they break through things that you can't even see. That you are a part of a plan and you are a part of the solution that God has developed. And your service and your dreams and your deep commitments matter. And your faith still can move mountains, even if it's gotten small. You never know when life can turn around. Like in a moment, things can change. So how do you shift towards this faith? I think a big thing is you need to refocus on your mission. Refocus on your mission. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation or the new creation has come, the old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I shared this verse, I think next week or the week before or last week. This is our mission, the ministry of reconciliation. Have you ever heard someone say, I'm just a sinner who's been forgiven? Well, I've probably said something like that before. I've heard it a ton of times probably and it sounds really humble, but when you are born again, you are much more than just a sinner that's been forgiven. You are a new creation. When this happens, the old things have passed away. The new things become new. The old you is dead, old thinking, old ambitions, old dreams, old living, old sin, all those things. The new you comes alive and you have a new mission, a ministry and a calling. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So I think it's important for you to refocus, like what is the mission that God has given you? What is your kingdom purpose attached to whatever you do on a day-to-day basis in this natural world that's attached to a supernatural God? And I think it's important to find that, but I wanna bring us back to what's our mission? What's the mission of this local body of believers? And I think it should honestly be at least a part of the, the mission of any Bible-believing church, the body of Christ. But this is our mission statement, to reach our friends and to see them become fully devoted followers of Christ, to become disciples, that we're gonna follow Jesus, we're gonna grow together, we're gonna serve one another, and we're gonna live on mission, making sure that we understand that there are souls in the balance. So how do we accomplish this mission? If you, if you don't align yourself with anything else, maybe just get back on mission with us as a church, because I do think that we've slipped a little bit away from this, especially within the last couple of years. I don't know where you're at with this, but I find that there are more and more people that haven't invited anyone to church in a long time. We're not thinking about our neighbors. We're not thinking about our coworkers. We're not thinking about people that may be away from the Lord or don't have a local church. We've gotten off mission. We need to get back on mission. Okay, so one of the things you do this with this is don't make the first step difficult. Don't make the first step difficult. Acts 15, 5, and then going to verse 19, it says, then some of the believers who belong to the, the party of the Pharisees super cool guys, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of the Moses, okay? So then Paul goes into this, and he starts talking about it in the grace of Jesus, and he goes on to say, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. So the apostles are relaying these stories about how many Gentiles are being saved, and the first push back is, y'all are making it too easy. Y'all need to give them some hoops to jump through. Verse five, their first line of thinking is they've got to keep the law of Moses and they've got to be circumcised. Could you imagine Paul going back to those churches? Like, hey guys, I hear God is moving. Signs and wonders, spirit of God is moving. People are receiving the gifts of the spirit. There's a lot of amazing things going on. Uh, I just, uh, I got to ask you to do something. Uh, first, you know, first five books of the Bible, yeah, I'm going to need you to memorize all those word for word and do everything they say, okay? Yeah, yeah, that, I know, it's a lot. Yeah, but you're going to have to do that. Uh, and uh, one more thing. <laughs> uh, can I have all the guys raise your hands? Hey, guys, so here's the thing. Uh, we've got a room. Over here, uh, some knives. Uh, yeah, so I'm gonna need all y'all go over there and we're gonna circumcise you. Who wants to go first? That's what religion does. I wanna show you what religion does. Anybody see a problem with this ladder? Seven. A few rungs missing. And that is what religion does. Religion makes the first step really difficult. In other words, what religion says is, yeah, okay, you can be saved, but you've got to stop cussing, drinking. You've got to stop listening to devil music. There's a whole bunch of things. There's a list of things you need to do, okay? You know what? You're right. There needs to be repentance and there is a process of sanctification. And we are all at different points in that process. But if you get enough religious people in a room and start talking about what it takes to be saved, they're gonna have to do yoga to get to the first step. Whatever happened to all those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What about the thief on the cross that just simply turned to Jesus and said, remember me, and that was enough. Okay, so yes, there will be a process of sanctification. Yes, ultimately we are held to the standard of the word of God, but we need to give to people what Jesus gave us and that's the bottom rung so that we have a step up. We need to approach people with that in mind, like, okay, they are way away from God, so are you. Even if you were raised in church, we were all sinners. Jesus, whether you saw it this way or not, gave you grace to take an easy first step. And we need to give that to people. Amen? Another thing is you got to use your one-arm judo move. Let me explain. I've used this story before. It's been a while. There was a 10-year-old boy that had a horrific car accident, and through that his left arm was so damaged that they wound up having to amputated. So after recovery, the, the mom noticed, man, my little boy, he's just depressed. He's, he's having a hard time finding purpose. And so she decided to take him and sign him up for some judo classes. So met a sensei that was going to start working with him and training him. And the sensei began to train him, but only would teach him one move. Every day, every time that they would meet, he would teach him this one move, perfecting this one move every time. So eventually, they entered him into a tournament. And when you know it, this kid starts winning matches. Starts winning matches, and eventually, he wins the whole tournament, and he beats this guy that's a lot bigger, way more experienced than he is. He beats this kid. And so this young man is just thankful. He's amazed. He's surprised. And his sensei came to me and said, you won, but you won because you learned the most difficult move in judo. One of the reasons why it's so difficult is because the only way that your opponent can defend against this move, they have to grab your left arm and you don't have one. And this is a great picture because all of us may not feel well equipped. All of us are injured. All of us have been disabled at one, in one way or another throughout the course of our life. But the great thing is this, God gives us a playbook. God gives us moves. And when we train in those moves, it doesn't matter how ill-equipped we feel, we can win. And one of the primary one arm judo moves that God gives every Christ follower is the gift of hospitality. What do I mean by that? Hospitality is just simply when someone feels that they can be at home in your presence. Jesus did this all the time. This is the primary way that he reached people because he would just hang out with them. Like people that were far away from God, Matthew, Zacchaeus. And when you start hanging out and fellowshipping with people, walls start to fall. And the elephant in the room gets removed and that elephant is always gonna be, are they gonna love me unconditionally? And then Satan loses his volume. His voice gets quiet. And that's when anything can happen. And I just feel like maybe some of us have gotten away from that spiritual gift as believers of walking with people in relationship. Just loving them. You don't have to love their sin. You don't have to accept their sin, but you need to love them, and we need to love the way that Christ loves them. Hebrews twelve two says, "Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares." First Peter four nine show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Romans twelve thirteen contribute to the needs of all the saints and seek to show hospitality. Leviticus nineteen thirty four you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you. And you shall love him as yourself for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. Don't just invite people to come to church. Don't just invite people to come to candlelight. Don't just text them to come back. You have a one-arm judo move that you need to use and it is the gift of hospitality. You need to follow up with them. You need to have coffee with them. You need to invite them. Invite them to come to your life group. Invite them to come to a movie. Invite them to come to something. But love them. Treat them with hospitality. Because I find that even some of the smallest things done with a spirit of hospitality are big moves in the kingdom of God. I was thinking about some of our life group leaders and the things that they do. Like a lot of people think like, I can't lead a life group because I never went to seminary. Yeah, neither did they. Trust me. But they're one step ahead. They're just learning and growing in the word. And then whatever they receive, they give it away to someone else. That's all they do. But the biggest thing that they do, they just do everything they can to serve and show hospitality. So they, someone may come and they may not agree all day with Josh Sled, but they can't argue with his chicken casserole. That's his one-arm judo move. Someone may try to dismiss Bernie, but his wife Stephanie makes the best salsa and guacamole around. That's her one-arm judo move and she has the gift of hospitality. Paula Hampton makes fried chicken and people start moving towards Jesus by the third bite. I promise you that right now. It's not as much about theology, it is about just loving people and showing love. So we have these cards, we do this every year. I like how we did it this year because it can be like a postcard. So if there's somebody that's out of town or somebody lives away away, you can actually mail these to them, but I would encourage you, use these as a personal invitation, okay? So we have some passive forms of invitation which are the yard signs. And I encourage you, get one of those. There's a lot of people that need to hear about the hope of Jesus. And I hear stories all the time about people that came to a service because they saw a yard sign. I don't know why, but it's still like one of the most effective marketing things that we have as a church. But I want you to give you this, and this is not passive, this is direct. This is relational. This is something I want you to pray about, pray over. I'd encourage you to get a couple but ask the Lord to put on your heart, who is it Who is it that I need to put the one-armed judo move on? To show them, not just invite them, but show them the love of Christ. And I'd encourage you to make sure that you invite them. We're gonna get back on mission because there's too many people that still need Jesus. Amen close our eyes, bow our heads. Father, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for moving in this place. And I come before you, Holy Spirit. And I ask you, right now, I know you've already been moving in people's hearts, but I pray that the weightiness of your presence will be felt in this moment. This is a place of salvation every week. And every week we give an opportunity that if there's anyone that feels away from the Lord, if there's anyone that feels disconnected from their heavenly father, we give an opportunity for them to come to him. And what does that mean? It means that at one point or another, every believer had to recognize that they are a sinner and that their sin separates them from a holy God. But that holy God desires more than anything for every one of his children and that's every person to be reconciled to him. But Jesus said, I am the way. I am the way, the only way to the father is through me because he's the perfect sacrifice He paid the price that none of us could pay. He paid it on the cross. It required a perfect sacrifice and he became that for us. He poured out his blood. He died. The power of God raised him from the dead. And it's because of that that we don't have to fear death. It's because of that hope that that family I was talking about earlier don't mourn like those who have no hope because they know that Gus is in heaven. And it is God's desire that every person have that confidence and that comfort, that hope. He rose from the dead and he defeated sin and death. Meaning, you don't have to be held captive to living the way the rest of the world lives. You can be free from that. It is a choice. There is a process. But it's only by the spirit of God that you can walk out that freedom, but you have the opportunity to take the first step. And that is admitting, confessing that you need Jesus, that you're away from him. And at one point or another, if you make this decision, the word says, when you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, then you're saved. And so I would encourage you, you're gonna need to tell somebody that you made this decision. I'd encourage you to get water baptized. We got one coming up this next month, but if you're from a different church, go to your home church and ask when you can go public with your faith through water baptism. But right now, I just want us to make a decision between me, you, and God, and I'm not gonna embarrass you, but I'm gonna ask you to be bold, just bold enough to admit it between me and the Lord so I can pray with you. If you know you need Jesus and you're away from him, I want you to put your hand up right now and make eye contact with me. As soon as I see you, put your hand up. Yes, yes, yes. Anyone else, I'm away from the Lord, I need him. Thank you. Anyone else, thank you. I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus. I want to make him my Lord and Savior. I'm tired of doing this on my own. I'm tired of doing the religion thing. I'm tired of just doing the church thing. I want to have a genuine, real relationship with God. Is there anyone else? I need him. I'm away from him. One more moment for the stubborn person in the room. I relate to you, so I understand sometimes it takes a second. Don't fight it. I need him. I'll admit it. Anyone else? Okay. Father God, I thank you for each one of those people that raised their hand. I thank you that you're faithful and you're meeting with them right now. And I thank you that they're sensing even your grace, just that simple act of lifting their hand, just released this faith and this grace on them. I thank you for that. And I want you just to repeat this prayer. Something like this. Say, Jesus, I need you because I'm a sinner and I can't save myself, but I believe that you died on the cross for my sin and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you rose from the grave, defeating sin and death itself. And because of that, I have the hope of heaven because of that, I am a new creation. I can be a new person. God, I need your help. God, I don't wanna just live life and wait on heaven. I wanna fulfill a purpose now. And I know the only way I can do that, I can't do this the way I wanna do it. I've gotta be submitted to you. You have to be my Lord. And so I stop and I turn away from living for myself and living according to the standard of the world. I repent and I turn towards you. I need you, Jesus change my heart from the inside out, transform me, make me the person that you created me to be and help me to fulfill my purpose and calling in you. Thank you. Father, I thank you for that. And I thank you that you're gonna help all of us to get back on mission. I bind and rebuke the lies and the screams of the devil that gets us distracted, that gets us focused on ourselves, that causes us to turn in and and stop focusing on what really matters God, I pray that you would just by your spirit, the gentleness of your spirit, bring conviction to every part of our life that has become consumed with the world, that's been consumed with our own feelings, our own wants, our own desires. And God, get us back on track towards pursuing your plan, your purpose, your will, the standard of your word. We thank you for it and help it be obvious and evident to people around us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Five people, raise their hand to give their life to Jesus. Come on, let's welcome them. Let's praise Jesus in this place. He's worthy.